Welcome to The Threat Show, powered by Fletch. The social engineering aspects are wild. I mean, they're nuts. You know, essentially, it's arbitrarily easy to make you look like Darian in this video, right? And sound like Darian or whatever else. And so you could look like Biden and say, launch the bomb. Hi, and welcome to The Threat Show, powered by Fletch. I'm Darian Kinlan, VP of Technology here. And with me each week is my recurring co-host, Chris Wilder, Research Director at Tag Cyber. Welcome back, Chris. Thanks, Darian. It's always usual. Good to see your smiling face. Well, likewise. So we're joined by special guest this week, Simon Crosby. Simon has an impressive list of experiences from his time in cybersecurity, from founding and serving as CTO of ZenSource and Bromium, to lecturing at University of Cambridge and later becoming a member of the board of directors at Cambridge in America. Currently, he's an investor and equity partner at DCVC, a venture capital company focused on implementing AI and parts of the economy that have yet to adopt the technology. Welcome to the show, Simon. Thanks. It's great to be here. All right. Well, we'll be talking with Simon more in depth shortly. But first, let's run through this week's trending threats and do the numbers, so to speak. So compared to last week, I think we've seen roughly a net change of maybe three new major threats kind of enter the landscape. But one of the things that we got recently by DM was one of our viewers asking us, hey, what do you consider at Fletch to be a major threat, right? Is it a vulnerability? Is it a malware campaign? Is it a threat group? Is it a breach? And the answer is kind of all of the above. We kind of track security topics as if they pose a threat to the business. And that's really what we mean when we say major threats. You know, another type of question we get is, well, is every single vulnerability, is every single malware a separate threat? And the answer is really not necessarily. We kind of group things together as they're being talked about in a related set across all these different sources on the internet. Does that kind of make sense to you, Chris? Yeah, it, it does. This is all, all very consistent. You could rack your entire brain trying to categorize and parse out different types of threats and things like that, but they're all bad. I'm just more surprised that it's the first week of March. <laughs> yeah, so, it creeps know. up on you, right? It does. It does. Well, let's kind of double click into the numbers a little bit more. So while three is kind of the net net, actually 11 major threats kind of emerged over the past week. 10 transitioned from you know, covered by one particular outlet to two or three into trending. And then another 10 kind of went mainstream, covered by mainstream media outlets. And then lastly, seven exited our coverage because we haven't seen any new activity about them over the past 30 days. So even though it looks like there's been small amounts of change, you know, net net, we did see quite a bit of activity this week comparatively. Does that make sense to you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because these emerging threats, these 11 that are here, I mean, we'll probably we'll cover some of them in the rundown, but these 11, I guarantee, are going to move into mainstream. They're they're big ones and, and they're big, <laughs> the ugly ones. And, you know, I think just from the inactive side of this, from our research, you know, we typically look at different threats and they're, they tend to be very cyclical. It just takes Suxnet for a while, for one. We're looking at, you know, we look at everything in 13 years for each, you know, major major breach sucks that happened 13 years later you know we believe that the whole critical infrastructure in ot 
world is going to get start getting hit again. It's it's just looking at the data on this. And I think that this is very consistent. We're going to see a lot of the taxes changing, but I think these these 11 that we've got now are going to move over to the, the right very fast. And, and the inactive ones, you know, they'll come back. Yeah, just a better win, right? So let's get into it then. So for this week's interesting threats, we actually got quite a bit of surprising ones, I'd say. I mean, there was a new revelation and an old breach. Some people are surprised. Other industry veterans are probably like, yeah, this is kind of par for the course. Two new types of malware that have some interesting qualities into it. And then a couple of different attacks against trusted computing, secure boot. Should we be surprised, concerned, or is this kind of normal? Let's let's get into more details. So for the first one on our list, LastPass, they were breached back uh, August of last year. No real surprise there. However, on Monday, the company released more information about the details of that breach and how basically one of four senior DevOps engineers responsible with production access to LastPass was compromised, not through their work computer, but rather through their home computer. Specifically, the attacker managed to compromise media software package known as Plex, pretty common. And then once that happened, the attacker loaded up a keylogger on the the home computer's system. But what was really surprising is the fact that the DevOps engineer then proceeded to log into LastPass production environments from their home computer. And as soon as they typed in their master password for their own vaults, the attacker got access to everything. So if, if, if you're a security professional and you're trying to advocate for a separation of employees not using home computers to access production data, this is kind of exhibit A. I'm curious, Chris, your thoughts here. Is this more commonly done than what people think? Or is this a, a rare event? No, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, just look at look at the vulnerabilities and look at the what happens with GitLab, for example. You know, you have both your personal email and your, your business email in there. You share those. And, you know, I think developers just overlook this. And what, one of the things that just looking through this, it kind of more of on a, on a behavior perspective, when I was doing a lot of different assessments, I did some forensics on some of the biggest breaches that, that ever happened in entertainment and retail and things like that. And we'd go through and we'd, we'd identify where the, you know, where the breach happened and how it happened. We'd list out the kill chain and, and they were, oh man, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and a year later they got hit again because they didn't make changes. And this is, this is very common because people just say, all right, well, you know, we'll just patch and update and, you know, we're safe, but it's not true. You have to fix the problem. And this is, this is a great example of what not to do. You know, when, when you identify something, you, you mitigate the, you mitigate the threat you also you have to change things in order to make sure that you don't get hit again, and it's partly hi- cyber hygiene, but it's also just it's awareness throughout the organization. You know, uh, developers tend to focus on speed, where we as cybersecurity people tend to focus on being deliberate about what we do. And this is very preventable with with just education and with with just kind of having better discipline. Makes sense. I mean, this is a clear advocate for kind of a zero trust environment. Yeah. Well, there's that too. I I could go out about that too, but yeah. Yeah, Exactly. So next on our list is actually a new type of malware that was discovered and protections were rolled out across the Apple ecosystem through their internal EDR product called XProtect. 
Sentinel One engineers kind of took a look at those new signatures and discovered that there's now <laughs> coverage to identify, protect, defend against a new XM rig cryptocurrency mining malware called Honkbox. And it's like, well, okay, what's what's so special about this? And really what sets this particular type of malware apart from past ones is that it's now leveraging something that's kind of next gen Tor, where it called the Invisible Internet Project for all of its command and control. So rather than, you know, being easily identifiable on the internet. Now malware operators are deciding to use these next gen, what, Web3 technologies to kind of avoid detection. I kind of wonder if we're seeing the beginning of a new trend here, Chris. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the nice thing about, you know, Apple, you know, we talk about this, I think every week, which is kind of getting redundant. You know, security is a new thing. It's a new toy for Apple and they, they don't really know how to deal with it, know what to do with it. And I think they're getting better at it but you know these different web3 and i think the next the, the next two groups of attacks are going to be ai based malware and then web3 because just a lot of people don't understand it they don't know what to do with it they don't know how to respond to it i mean nist doesn't even know how to respond to ai so this is really more of a function of the industry catching up with with the reality fair enough and then a different malware family was also talked about this week, arguably one that targets more consumer-grade devices, consumer-grade computers called MiloBot. And here, people are kind of scratching their head, why would you know a malware operator target systems on the internet that don't really have a whole lot of sensitive data? A lot of people ask, why should I bother installing security software? I'm not a target. What could they possibly want from me? And it turns out that just simply your internet access is of value because all these compromised systems with MiloBot were acting as nodes on a third-party service called BH Proxies. So literally the operator was selling proxy access to all these compromised systems in order to make money effectively. This is just another variation of what would be known as like an in initial access brokers, but they're going after even lower hanging fruit. Is this normal, you think, Chris, or relatively common from your perspective? It's becoming more and more common. I, I, I love Krebs. I'm a big fan. But this is actually getting more and more normal, especially as we become more and more distributed. You know, a lot of times, why do I need to put security on an IoT device? Because crypto miners want to use it to <laughs> mine at night. You know, it goes back to that, you know, secure everything. And, and, Darian, we talked earlier, you know, ZTNA is going to be one of the things I think that will probably help alleviate some of this, but we're still in a centralized world and we, you know, we don't know what we don't know and inventory sucks and it's hard to, you know, know what you've got. Fair enough. So moving on to the next one on our list, people always talk about, well, I don't necessarily need a ton of different, you know, patching solutions. I can just use a secure boot and a trusted computer and everything's done. Unfortunately, ESETs discovered that there's a brand new malware bootkit that effectively evades secure boot, which yeah. was, was kind of theoretical. I think Black Lotus was talked about a couple of months ago, but now they've confirmed that it's actually a thing because they found the malware samples on dark web forums, which have kind of confirmed that, yeah, this is a way for operators to even target what otherwise would be considered secure systems. It's it's breathtaking, it's eye-opening, but should we really be surprised? Eh, 
I don't know, Chris, what are your thoughts? So it's Chris Wilder's story time. So, you know, gather around kids. Now, uh, when I was a few years ago, I was actually working on a, a project in Canada and we were building IP65 RAN servers. And one of the things that we realized, you know, we were jumping into this from a hardware perspective saying, you know, you can't hack a BMC, which is your boot module for, for a server. Because, you know, it, it's easy to secure hardware and the Bromium guys know this well. And so the thing that we found was when we went through, we did a CVE scan on on the server before we went to first customer. And we had 6,000 documented CVEs that were on that server specifically through the boot, through the chips, through everything. And we had to fix all of those. And by the time we were done, we had about 4,000 more. And <laughs> so this is a never ending cycle. And yeah. the one thing about boot is, you know, if you can change the, the boot record, you can get the keys to the kingdom and own the system. So ransomware guys love this. So no, yeah. this is not something new. It's just a different method. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the the underlying vulnerability that they're using is not new. It's it's no. like, you know, maybe a year old at this point. I mean, it's it's really something that I think Microsoft released a patch out for this a while ago, honestly. And it kind of makes you wonder, do people not patch secure environments because they feel like, well, in the name, it's already secure. Why should I bother? You know what I mean? It's yeah. just bizarre. Well, I mean, people used to think, don't you can't hack a BMC. And we put a bug bounty out there and we put a website up called hackbybmc.com and we believe that nobody could do it. And within a day, somebody had already taken it out. So, so it's, yeah, it's just stuff you don't think about. And I come to work every day astonished, just the new stuff the bad guys come up with. Yeah. So. And there's efforts to try to make trusted computing a little bit more secure, but it's, it's a process, right? I mean, so we've got this, this practical one and then Carnegie Mellon researchers discovered that there were two actual, you know, theoretical attacks against just the TPM firmware where a local attacker could basically just load any arbitrary code they wanted on it. So yeah. clearly, you know, there's a lot more that needs to be done here to help kind of raise the bar, but it's great that they found it and that we're discovering these issues, but man, people that thought this was like the panacea that could stop everything is just, it's not happening, right? You still require layers of security. Yeah, there is no panacea for cybersecurity, I can tell you that. Exactly, exactly. So that's our kind of list for the, the topics for this week. If you want to dive deeper into this week's trending threats, be sure to check out the interactive Fletch newsletter and Trending Threats app to see all the stories we talked about, peruse the threat index at your leisure, and more. Now, on to our special guest interview. Let's switch gears and, and have a direct chat with Simon a little bit more about his experience with AI in general. Hey, Simon, how are you doing? Good, thank you. And thanks for having me. Awesome. So, you know, based on your experiences, what are some interesting use cases that you've seen for how AI can help in, you know, cybersecurity use cases in, in general? So wait, it can help and also create a new awesome attack surface. So, I mean, just think of it this way. There was an attack on a Tesla, right? Where if you taped over a stop sign, I don't know, with masking tape or something, you know, mm -hmm. the thing would 
steam through a stop sign, right? That's an attack. So sure. what you have in these AI-powered systems is an enormous continuous attack surface. We have no idea how to get our hands on it and limit the attacks. We have no idea how to understand what models don't know or where their limits are or how you can get around them, right? And so that presents a whole new attack surface. Sure, AI will help a lot in detection and a bunch of other things, and we'll get there. But first off, AI is a new threat surface. I'd love Chris's view on that. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I, you know, one of the challenges with ChatGPT is everybody's debugging their code using it. And uh, yeah, right. Yeah, By yeah. the way, yeah, yeah, exactly, right. So, welcome to the era of approximately right code. Yep. And engineers who are lazy and download stuff created by ChatGPT or Copilot or something else. And God knows where this stuff is good enough. No, you're right. And once you once you put it out there, it's out there. And, you know, it, it goes back into the algorithm to train it. Um, and, and Simon, I think one of the things that you mentioned, which I think AI is going to only make the botnets more smarter, more adaptable. You know, if you kind of, because uh, we're, all, we're all kind of nerds uh, watching Star Trek, you know, you learn about the Borg. And a lot of times, yeah. bots, they can go back and they can, you know, continually recon do reconnaissance and adapt. But with AI, it makes it makes it more dynamic, and that's going to be one of the biggest challenges with that. But also, this Chris, it's arbitrarily cheap to sit oh, yeah. and watch and learn about you. You're right. So finding your whole. So if you think about Star Trek, in the world. Whatever, or, or, or actually, not Star Trek, but whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. in general, the business of trying to find the vulnerability in your particular world is pretty cheap. So the attacker can customize an attack for your environment, given just time and the ability to watch you know, your employees and how you use the internet and so on. So attacks will become arbitrarily personalized to your world. Yeah, that's that's one of the big concerns that we're tracking right now is the the effects AI have on phishing campaigns. Typically, we, we're a little bit more head on a swivel type. You know, we, we're actually already pretty jaded and, and we tend to look out for these things. But, you know, you, poor Karen in HR, you know, she'll click on a link if it says Billy, who's down, you know, three cubicles down from you is he's sick. We're we're putting a GoFundMe page together. Right. Yeah, click on the damn thing. And that's where the sophistication of phishing attacks are coming because yeah, you're right. They are watching exactly you can use AI to do behavior analytics. And <clears> very there was a very cool attack disclosed literally overnight where you can persuade the new Bing to download an attack, disclose information about all the other tabs in the browser, and then learn about the environment by effectively fooling the user. Wow. Yeah, it's basically a social engineering, you know, 2.0 yeah. at this point. 
Exactly. Wow. I mean, the Turing test is the Turing test, right? And so these things are extraordinarily good at social engineering. And yep. then they can just sit and wait and find out the appropriate information, leak it out by a hidden channel. And then you're done. The key thing here is that it's arbitrarily cheap to customize the attack to your particular environment. Yep. Right. It's astonishing because you can learn a lot about somebody by their open tabs. And uh, yeah. My, you know, my wife has like 9,000 open tabs. So we, you know, it's a gulag of whatever tabs. But Well, if you, but, yeah. if you go yeah. back to Bremen, the whole point was every tab was in a separate VM, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, for good reason. But but you could still learn a lot about somebody if you can if you can get in and see their tabs and uh, I don't oh I sure you can yeah, yeah yeah that's you know you have a baseball tab open and you have a news tab and you know you can probably figure out you know this person loves baseball and is you know is is a is a Republican you know <laughs> that that's, right. yeah. I find out about that and there's a lot of ways and you know, social engineering campaigns are you know very very adept at that and I think it's this is a, this is a scary one so. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't talk about AI on the side of good and sure it can help a lot and it will. And mm -hmm. I think forward looking vendors are figuring out how to use it to understand vulnerabilities in your environment mm -hmm. and to counterattacks. So in the flash context, for example, you know, the idea everybody has spent a ton of money on buying point solutions to protect against a standardized notion of attack. Actually, the reason I like flash is it turns the idea the opposite way around. So it says, hey, let me understand your environment. And then I can find where you have vulnerabilities, which is totally awesome. Yeah, it's, it, you know, leveraging AI to deliver more personalized experiences, personalized threat analysis is relatively, it's, it's relatively new and uh, yeah. emerging from that standpoint. Well, it's kind of like chat GPT, for your own world, right? So right. essentially you can say, you know, who you could find out who is the vulnerability in your org. You can find out, you know, did they do bad things? Did they do stupid things? Who's logging on to production infrastructure from a home PC? Yep, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Quick question, though, I mean, because kind of down that same path, do you think AIs, um, in terms of kind of where it's being used now, where it's to where it's going to be, do you do you see AI right now kind of more in dealing on the social engineering side of it, you know, with human behavior versus the vulnerability side, which is kind of more the operational cybersecurity world, or is are they is it kind of in tandem, or is it do you see one? I think so. I think it's it both. I mean, I know a little bit about what's going on flat under the covers. So, and Darren could fill us in. But vendors that know 
the intimate details of how attacks work will use that to protect you. And that's cool. But the social engineering aspects are wild. I mean, they're nuts. You know, essentially, it's arbitrarily easy to make you look like Darian in this video, right? And sound like Darian or whatever else. And so you could look like Biden and say, launch the bomb, right? So the problem is this whole social engineering aspect is really beyond normal human in, human experience. We used to seeing people and listening to them and then trusting them. And we have a lot to learn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, it's I going to be bad. Yeah, I penned an article last month specifically about deepfakes and how they're <laughs> how they're being used yeah. in the Ukrainian conflict to go back and forth. Uh, you know, yeah. I can't tell you how many times Zelensky has uh, has surrendered. <laughs> but it's yeah, right. And, you know, they're indistinguishable. But this article was very focused on how criminal enterprises are using deepfakes to to affect law enforcement, to affect uh, the investigation process, to yeah. affect politics. Uh, the intelligence community is starting to to adopt deepfakes for uh, science. Sure, they are. And, and they're doing and, it both. By the way, they're also doing it to protect their own. Yeah. So they're using deepfakes or AI to protect the identities of their own people. They are. Conversely, a lot of some, you know, they're starting to use deepfakes to coerce confessions and yeah. conviction, which is another big challenge. And so I think there's, I think the bad guys are going to be ahead of us for a while. As, as we catch up as, as good guys or relatively good guys? Yeah. I think, well, humans have, we have never dealt with this kind of threat before. So, yeah. I mean, even if you look like, I don't know, we can make you look big and, whatever, I mean, you're a big guy, but we can make you look like Joe Rogan or <laughs> And sound like him too. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know, and uh, my wife would love that. But no, I, yeah, that's you're right, and it's you it can be anything you want, and and it's a it it's it's kind of terrifying, but really kind of cool the the opportunity that we have going forward. But but I think yeah, so I think there's another opportunity, which is to increase or use AI or use new techniques to detect fakes and right. detect you no know, humans doing bad stuff or non-humans doing bad stuff yeah I, I think yeah i think the technology for deep fakes you know the meta tags are coming up for deep fakes i think that's that technology is, is coming fast i think ai is a little bit scarier because my colleague ed amoroso he's a professor at nyu chat gpt has completely rocked his entire world and he's he's actually yeah. gone from doing written exams to to actually sitting down and having a cup of coffee with somebody and doing an oral exam Right, freaking out, or making people write in pencil or something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. It seems like the common theme here is that AI is really challenging the norms of what we think of as authentic content, right? And it's becoming yes. indistinguishable to figure out, okay, what is authentic versus mm -hmm. what's been assisted. 
And how do you deal with that challenge across all these different mediums? It's, yeah, yeah. I think we're at kind of the, the, an inflection point where we don't know what's going to happen next. We're going to see some crazy, amazing use cases of, of AI. It's going to be extremely scary. And it's well, kind of the wild, wild, wild. One thing we, we know that as, you know, security pros, we can reason about these attacks. But, you know, the average worker, they have no idea. Right. I mean, they'll just do the obvious and click on the link or whatever they have to do, but they will do the wrong thing. Yeah. So it's, it's a huge attack surface. Darian, I actually, maybe AI, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. It's crazy. I mean, I who knows what it's going to be like. I think uh, until we get AI technology that's able to identify and detect in authentic content, mm-hmm. we're going to have this yeah. problem. Well, the problem is that it's detecting inauthentic content is arbitrarily hard, right? Yes. Yeah. By the way, one of the reasons I like Fletch is that, well, I kind of think of it as ChatGPT for my world, right? Yeah. So, right. So I can ask any question or think about it in an arbitrarily personalized way. It's not the web. It's my world and my people. And what am I vulnerable to? And I think there is a huge need for AI that's kind of on side, that understands me and my world and is out to bat for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's going to be interesting because I, I, Darian, I want to have Simon back in about in a few months to regroup this conversation see where we're at because yeah. it's changing that fast. And you've got some really great insights, man. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I mean, a lot of people are wondering: Are we at the beginning of the S curve? Are we at the middle? Are we at the <laughs> right. end? Who knows, right? We don't know. Well, but it's okay. So, by the way, here's another silly idea. You know, Musk was out there with this idea of full self driving mm-hmm. invader, right? Sure. Well, it's such a stupid idea. Okay, it's an arbitrarily brutally hard problem to solve. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if he calls it AI assisted driving, sure. And it could be embedded forever, right? If we right. just get better. But full self driving, no way. It's never <laughs> gonna happen. Okay. It's just never gonna happen. So what you know is that these AI systems, no matter how well trained, facing the real world and real people, there'll be a limit to how well their training actually applies, right? And that is always going to be a really fruitful area for the bad guy. Right, figuring out those boundaries. And by the way, in the AI domain, it's interesting in the security world to think about whether this favors vendors with huge training data sets or vendors with cool AI algorithms. So if I'm Google and I see everything, do I know all the attacks and do I do a better job? Sure. For spam, 
they do an awesome job, right? But they don't know my world and they right. can't understand what my people are doing and that kind of stuff. So I think there's a huge need for AI tools on my side that understand things I could never understand and can find my vulnerabilities. Makes sense. Yeah. So personalization really matters a lot in that context. Yeah. yeah. Well, in our yeah. world, it's detection and triage. And so yeah, send me to the things I need to worry about as opposed to just putting the fire hose on me twice a day. So. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I was thinking about the first part of your show here, which was dealing with Alanda standard attacks. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's like, is this a big, big deal? I have no idea. If I'm vulnerable to it, sure, it's a big deal. <laughs> if I'm not, it isn't. Okay. So the idea that there is a standardized attack on a known vulnerability, okay. I think that is, I don't know, the first 30 years of infosec or whatever, 40 years, right? The next bit is all about personalized attacks, knowing me. Yep. And that's scary. Yeah. So yeah. much as we say, you know, I could make a deep fake that sounds like Biden and says launch the bomb. I can make a deep fake in the cyber domain, which understands you and, you know, launches the attack at the right point. So the, the attack will arbitrarily vary. Right. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this landscape changes, not, not in a couple of years, but right in a couple of months. I yeah. agree with you, Chris. I think it's worth uh, checking in again and seeing, you know, where we are on that curve, because only time will tell, honestly. Yeah. But it's certainly an exciting <clears throat> time. It certainly Absolutely. is. It sure is. Job security. <laughs> it's a... Yeah, exactly. Infosec is job security, right? Yeah. yeah. You can rely on the fact the bad guys are arbitrarily smart and will always do something new. Yep. Exactly. That's human creativity for you. Yeah. Well, Thank you, gentlemen. This has been very enlightening. We've covered the gamut of so many different topics. Simon, we'd love to have you back on the show in a couple of months' time just to see where we're at with this whole this whole theme because it's been crazy so far. And who knows what, what the well, threat landscape yeah, is going to be like. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to yeah. be fun. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us this week and stay tuned for next week when our guest speaker, Dave Newman from Tag Cyber will be joining us to cover the next set of interesting threats. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thanks, Darian. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into The Threat Show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on YouTube, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and interact with us on Twitter at The Threat Show. Also, be sure to subscribe to Fletch's interactive newsletter and Trending Threats app to go deeper into the stories we discuss and the Threat Index. Be sure to stay tuned to stay ahead of threats.